Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today's Tuesday, October 6th. Gas prices are down, the U.S. trade deficit is up, and we're focused on how America's healthcare system is being held for ransom. Two weeks ago, one of the country's largest hospital chains was hit with the type of cybercrime known as a ransomware attack. Then, just days later, the same thing happened to a Philadelphia company whose software is used in clinical trials, including some that are being used by AstraZeneca to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. So what's a ransomware attack? In short, it's when a hacker illegally accesses a system and encrypts the data inside. The hacker then offers to basically sell the organization a so-called encryption key to unlock its own data. That's the ransom. For time-sensitive outfits like hospitals, this can be absolutely devastating. Take that Philadelphia software company called eResearch Technology. Its attack led trial researchers to be locked out of their own information and forced them to begin tracking patients in notebooks, pen and paper, longhand. And then there was a ransomware attack at a German hospital recently that resulted in an actual death. When the hospital system went down, it began turning away ER patients, and one woman died from treatment delays after being shuttled to a working hospital 20 miles away. Overall, there have been hundreds of ransomware attacks against U.S. health companies in the past 18 months. And just to add insult to literal injuries, many of those companies pay the ransoms, thus indirectly leading to increased healthcare costs for all of us. So we want to dig into this with New York Times cybersecurity reporter Nicole Perlroth, who broke the news of the attack on e-research technology. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Nicole Perlroth, who covers cybersecurity for The New York Times and is the author of the upcoming book, This is How They Tell Me the World Ends. So Nicole, let's start on what you reported Sunday what happened at eResearch Technology? Well, I started getting calls about some clinical trials that had been frozen because there had been an issue at ERT, which is basically this company that provides the software that clinical trial investigators use to manage and monitor patients enrolled in clinical trials. And so I started making some calls and it sounded like indeed their systems had been held up for ransom. That basically means then the trials get slowed down, correct? And we're talking COVID trials here. Definitely some COVID trials were impacted. People had to postpone patient visits. We know in some cases, we know in others, data was lost. Fortunately, some of the big pharmaceutical companies had backup protocols in place. So it was just a matter of pulling those up. But in most cases, we know that the attack basically relegated these clinical trial investigators to pen and paper. And this came like about a week later. There had been a big ransomware attack on Universal Health Services, which is one of the larger hospital chains in the U.S. Two questions for you. One, is there a basic explanation for why there seems to be an increase in ransomware attacks on U.S. healthcare companies? And B, do the companies pay the ransoms? So there's been a huge uptick in attacks on hospitals over the last year. So part of it is just the urgency. You know, if you hold a hospital ransom, they cannot accept ER patients. They can't access medical records. They can't function in a lot of cases. So a lot of them, yes, are paying these ransoms. Now, the one that's been most dramatic over the last few months was actually in June 
there was a ransomware attack at UCSF as it was basically sort of at the center of some of these epidemiology and biostatistics efforts related to COVID. And hackers, not only did they leak some of UCSF's data, they actually leaked some of the transcripts of their ongoing negotiations with the negotiator UCSF hired. And originally, the hackers had been demanding $3 million in ransom. But when you go back and look at the transcripts between the hackers in that case and the negotiator, you just see how desperate UCSF's negotiator is to get their data back and how much it was impacting some of their efforts back in June. UCSF ended up having to pay more than a million dollars in ransom to get back their data. I want to get back to the healthcare systems in a minute, but something you just said, there are people whose jobs it is specifically to be ransomware negotiators. That's a profession. UCSF has people ready for crisis negotiations, period. So it might be a unique case. But yes, ransomware has basically become a full-fledged economy. Is it fair to say that since what the hackers are generally looking for here is cash and money, that we're talking about individuals here, not state actors? Well, it's murky. If you remember back at the breach at Yahoo, when those indictments came out, they eventually indicted four people. Two of them were cyber criminals. Two of them were members of the FSB. And what they described in those indictments was a dynamic where the cyber criminals were allowed to profit off the sale of the data that they stole from Yahoo, but they were also passing some of the more critical accounts for people who worked at the White House and at the Pentagon to the FSB. You mentioned stolen data. Should there be an assumption that when one of these systems, one of these US hospital systems gets a a ransomware attack, that not only are they holding the key so the hospital can get its data back and get access to it, but that the hackers are also copying slash stealing that data to sell it in some other way as well. So they're basically trying to make money on both sides. Yeah. So that wasn't happening until last year. Until about last year, as far as we knew, there had been no attacks, ransomware attacks, where you started to see the data leak out online. Now we know that they're pursuing these sort of two-stage attacks where they'll steal the data before they encrypt it. And that is a huge problem, especially when it comes to hospitals and healthcare facilities, because there have been a lot of hacks recently where they're actually dumping people's medical records online. And you know, from HIPAA, if hospitals aren't protecting patients' medical data, they can be in a lot of trouble. So yes, that is happening. And that is one of the biggest fears actually going into the election that we've reported on recently that some of these ransomware attacks on American town cities' election offices appear to be run-of-the-mill ransomware attacks actually might be a twofer in that there might be a scenario where that data is being collected and used for some kind of interference operation. And obviously, that sounds like a lot of speculation, but we are hearing at the Department of Homeland Security that that is now considered the highest priority threat to defend against going into the next 30 days. Nicole Perlroth of The New York Times, the name of the book on cyber weapons arms race is This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends, available early next year. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell, who chided Congress for not passing a new stimulus measure. Okay, he didn't do it quite so bluntly because Fed chairs just don't do that. But he did say this about how the Fed's monetary policy should be matched by legislators' fiscal policy. Too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. By contrast, the risks of overdoing it seem, for now, to be smaller. 
Today, we're also watching the case against John McAfee, the creator of the McAfee antivirus software that's probably on your computer. He is now under criminal indictment for tax evasion and is the subject of an SEC suit that claims he promoted initial coin offerings without disclosing that he was being paid to do so. McAfee was arrested in Spain and no longer has any formal relationship to the antivirus company, which last week filed for an IPO. And finally, we are continuing to watch the Trump COVID story, with the latest development being that the president, via Twitter, is again equating the dangers of the coronavirus with those of the seasonal flu, tweeting that sometimes over 100,000 people die from seasonal influenza. But no, no, they don't. The CDC's website currently lists an average seasonal influenza death range of between 12,000 and 61,000. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National Noodle Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.